This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing efforts to improve the diagnosis and treatment of hepatitis C virus infection among poor and underserved communities with Dr. Sonali Paul, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Center for Liver Diseases at the University of Chicago School of Medicine. And we'll be discussing her summary in the October 2023 issue of EBGI, which is entitled Hepatitis C Virus Testing and Treatment, A Call to Action. Welcome back, Dr. Paul. And let's talk for a moment about why this is an important topic for our listeners. Absolutely. So thanks for having me back. So as everyone knows, I think you know, hepatitis C is a virus that affects the liver. About 4 million people in the U.S. are infected with the virus currently. And what's really changed in the last 10, 15 years is really the advent of the direct-acting antiviral agents that can uh, eradicate hepatitis C in up to 95% of our patients with just 8 to 12 weeks of oral therapies. Previously, there was interferon, which cure rates were about 50-50 in genotype 1A. Treatments were much longer and, and the side effects were terrible. And, and it didn't basically didn't work for some people. And so this kind of new, new era of DEAs has really changed kind of landscape of hepatology. We know that these agents, if we can cure their hep C, folks can, we can prevent cirrhosis, liver cancer, and obviate the need for liver transplant. Hep C used to be the number one cause for liver transplant, but that has decreased dramatically over the last five, 10 years. And really the treatments are so effective that we actually now transplant hep C positive organs into negative recipients and then can treat them af after their transplant. And so that's how confident we are in these agents. But unfortunately, a lot of folks that have hep C either are unaware that they have it or don't have access to the care to get treated. And so we have these kind of life-saving treatments that a lot of people don't have access to or are from communities that are minoritized, racial and ethnic background, socioeconomically disadvantaged, or have substance use disorder that limits access to health care. And in particular, a lot of those folks have Medicaid as their primary insurance. And in this study, they looked at the Medicaid claims database to see how much of those patients were getting hep C. Sure. And that's really the important part of the study that you reviewed which is to quantify how frequently HCV-infected individuals with Medicaid insurance actually get prescribed the direct-acting antiviral agents that are curative in 95% of people with virtually no side effects after just 8 to 12 weeks of oral therapy. And specifically, you were reviewing a study in JAMA Network Open entitled Hepatitis C Treatment Initiation Among U.S. Medicaid Enrollees from the August 2023 issue of JAMA Network Open. And specifically, what they did was to do a retrospective cohort study using Medicaid claims data in 18 to 64-year-old individuals with a new diagnosis of hepatitis C virus infection in 2018 throughout the United States including Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico, and assessing whether or not they got prescribed the DEAAs within six months. And unfortunately, among over 87,000 newly diagnosed patients who are covered with Medicaid, only 20% actually were prescribed direct-acting antiviral agents within six months of their HCV diagnosis. And factors associated with not being prescribed 
these agents were being female, being of a younger age, like 18 to 29 years old. That was associated with an odds ratio of 0.65 or 35% less likely to get prescribed the agents. Being an active injection drug user, that was associated with a 16% less likely to be prescribed DAAs. Asian race was associated with a 50% decrease in the likelihood of being treated. And Hispanic ethnicity was also associated with a 19% decrease in the likelihood of being uh, prescribed these agents. So there are certainly always limitations with misdiagnosis and with missing out on data that may not be included in a retrospective database study. But still, this is concerning that so few patients with Medicaid insurance only are getting treated. So what are your thoughts on this, Dr. Paul? No, it absolutely. I mean, it's actually heartbreaking. I mean, I think, especially in hepatology, I think a lot of us, you know, are so excited that hep C is treated and almost it's becoming somewhat of an afterthought. And we're kind of focusing on other things like fatty liver disease or kind of the autoimmune diseases that haven't gotten a lot of interest recently. But I do think that, you know, the fact that only 20% of Medicaid population patients are getting treated rather within the you know, six months of diagnosis, we're never going to eradicate hepatitis C if we kind of go at this rate. And so I think there definitely needs to be interventions, especially in those high-risk populations that you mentioned, in order to improve access to care. Sure. I mean, I consider the evolution of the direct-acting antiviral agents to eradicate HCV with essentially 95% success rate with just eight to 12 weeks of oral agents to be a miracle in, in medical research over the past 20 plus years. And yet now we're not doing a great job of treating, much less even testing. And, and you know, for our listeners, based on the National Health Administrative or NHANES database studies, we estimate that there are over 2 million people in the U.S. that have hepatitis C virus infection, but at least a third are unaware that they're infected, usually because they're uninsured or experiencing poverty. And we need to work to improve access to testing and improve access to treatment. Now, I know, Dr. Paul, some of our listeners may not prescribe DEAAs very often. Do you want to just go over your basics in your own practice about what you do with the new HCV diagnosis and a little bit about outreach to help more primary care providers learn how to diagnose and prescribe? So for my hepatology practice, so I obviously see folks that come in with a di- mostly come in with a diagnosis of hep C from someone else that's referring them. So my typical algorithm is to check their for viral hepatitis. So in addition to C, as we already know that they have, um, I check for A and B, and if they haven't been vaccinated, it's really important to vaccinate them to prevent another liver disease on top of something else. I also always test for HIV if they haven't been tested. Co-infection from hep C and HIV 
is definitely happens. And in those situations, I actually send them to my ID colleagues for treatment. And then I always check a genotype. Even though many of our treatment regimens um, are pangenotypic, oftentimes we need to know this for insurance purposes or if for ch by chance that the treatment fails for whatever reason, it'd be nice to know what their genotype was before you start retreating them with other treatments. And then one of the most important things that we do in, in our clinic is to get some sort of assessment of their liver disease and their fibrosis. And so typically for us, we use transient elastography or fiber scan to kind of risk stratify the liver disease. There are also very many commercial tests, things like FibroSure, that can be used to basically see if someone has advanced fibrosis, so F3 or F4. Not that it's going to really, to be honest, manage or change the way we treat their hepatitis C. Some of the treatments are the same in addition to the duration of treatments. But it's going to help determine kind of long-term follow-up for our patients with advanced fibrosis because we still need to screen them for ATC screening or hepatocellular person with a screening every six months. And so we still haven't figured out quite when to stop that screening, especially in our patients that are very early on with cirrhosis. And one of the resources that I use a lot is something called hepcguidelines.org. It's a guideline-based website that is fantastic. It's from the IDSA, which is an infectious disease organization, and the ASLD, so the American Association for the Study of Liver Diseases. And it really will go through every single type between treatment naive, treatment experience, treatment failures, and even unique populations. So it's a really great website that I think everyone, you know, easily access. And so that's something that I definitely recommend as well. Yeah, I think that's also very important for our listeners. So again, it was hepcguidelines.org. And that demonstrates which regimens are appropriate in different patient populations. Although we can use eight to 12 week oral based regimens for virtually all patients now. We don't have limitations in terms of if they have decompensated cirrhosis, that that they're still eligible for treatment, that they can have kidney dysfunction and still be eligible for treatment. They can have IV drug use and still be eligible for treatment. And that really for Medicaid patients, it becomes an issue of just determining state by state whether or not hepatitis C virus treatments are covered and then which treatments are covered. And it sounds like at your own place, the pharmacists take care of that for you. Yeah. So we have a specialty pharmacy team that checks insurance and then based on the insurance, whatever they will cover, they'll uh, submit to the insurance company and we get it back. I know not everyone has that luxury of having a specialty pharmacy team, but this is where I think the hep C guidelines. In my previous place where I was a fellow, actually, we didn't have a specialty pharmacy at the time at least. And so I use this often to make sure I knew which regimen we were dealing with. Although I'd note that for many of our listeners, they probably use specialty pharmacies for inflammatory bowel disease drugs or some of the second line irritable bowel syndrome drugs and that they should be using this also when they diagnose HCV and just really encourage their primary care colleagues to be more aggressive about testing and treating given the safety and efficacy of the current regimens. Absolutely. And the only one caveat that I would say is that if someone has decompensated cirrhosis, if they have ascites or catabaristoplead or their MELD or their model for stage liver disease, their score is high. That's one of the times I'd refer them to a transplant center just to be sure that they don't need a transplant because if they need a transplant, sometimes we actually won't treat their hepatitis C if they're very close. They can then get a hep C positive organ or, or not, and then we just treat them after. Whereas before the DAA's treating hepatitis C afterwards was after transplant was incredibly difficult. It's very, very strange. Well, thanks again for joining me today. For our listeners, 
please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI on your favorite podcast platform. Please follow us on X, formerly known at Twitter, on our handle at ACG underscore EBGI, where we host tutorials of EBGI summaries every Wednesday. And please look for the next issue of Evidence-Based GI, which includes Dr. Paul's summary. It'll be sent out as a blast email to ACG members on Wednesday, October 18th. And thanks again for listening.